Greetings, everyone, and welcome to the 17th edition of Cinema Effect. I'm Zach, and I'm joined by Paul Thomas Anderson's number one fanboy, Liam. Hello. And my fellow... Yeah, yeah, I'll go with that one. My fellow Hans Zimmer appreciator, Jaden. Okay. What was the other one? I already forgot it. Oh, God. Yeah. I've given myself options now, and I don't like it. I actually had to stop and consider Disney's number one hater. Yeah, you know. Oh, yeah, yeah. Throws me off a bit. Yeah. Anyway... This is Cinema Effect, the podcast where we review and talk about a different movie every single week. The show posts every single Monday. You can find us on YouTube, Apple Podcasts, Spotify. Like us, follow us, you know, all the, all the good stuff. Um, I will say, you know, I'll try not to take any personal offense. Not, not enough YouTube subscribers, guys, you know? Only got, what, I think I actually saw a decrease the other, uh, very recently, like yesterday or something. <laughs> Slightly offended. All right, let's get those subscription numbers up. We see you listening to the show. If you're listening to this show, you're listening to my dumbass voice right now and you're not subscribed on the YouTube channel. Shameful. Very shameful. Absolutely. Anyway, sorry about that. Uh, remember to submit your questions, thoughts, reviews, for, or you know whatever you want next week's film. We'll read all that stuff at the end of the show as always, but we've got our specific question prompt of the week and we're going to ask you this week to put in the comments... What's a movie, you know, this totally isn't fitting for today's episode at all, you know, complete coincidence. What's a movie so bad that you haven't finished it? You're just watching it, it's absolute trash, I can't stand this any longer. We've all, I think, had that at one point or another, so let us know, what's a movie so bad you haven't finished it? Today we're doing, <sighs> we're doing Artemis Fowl, uh, which is a movie with, you know, a, a reputation, I'll say that much. I think that's, you know, the, the sole reason. It's a brand new 2020 film, which is, you know, slightly appealing. But the fact that it's kind of been received so awfully, um, I knew that prior to watching it. So, uh, yeah, that's what made it appealing for us. But I'll get into the data dump and then I'm stoked to talk about it. So, Arnim's Fowl debuted on Disney Plus on June 12th, 2020, not even a month ago. Uh, from the time we're recording this, and debuted on Disney Plus because there was a whole trivia bit. I could have put it in the trivia section. I didn't just because it was friggin' enormous, and I'm not reading that shit. But essentially, this film has had a very troubled, um, you know, time in development. Uh, a lot of the film was shot two years ago, and there was all that shit with Harvey Weinstein that messed it up because he was a producer on the film, and then obviously uh, COVID-19 for um, the film's theatrical release, destroying that. It was meant to come out in theatres in May, and that never happened. So we, in the end, we end up with a Disney Plus original film, um, which after watching it, I can't imagine it being anywhere else. I don't know. <laughs> this film getting a theatrical run uh, was would have been interesting. The film was directed by Kenneth Branagh, which is just bewildering to me. Kenneth Branagh directed this movie. Holy shit. Hmm. Kenneth Branagh, of course, are known for appearing in Christopher Nolan movies such as Dunkirk and the upcoming Tenet, and a very capable director and a very good actor. Direct, yeah, it's <laughs> kind of uh, very strange. I feel like watching the movie. Uh, I don't want to get it myself. The film was written by Connor McPherson and Hamish McCall. McCall, if it's your Irish, is that McCall? M C C O double L. Um, McCall. Yeah, sure. Sounds acceptable to you? Yep. Okay. Excellent. The film's... Oh, actually, no. I'm going to need your help on this one. The The, the film stars... The, the kid's name. Ferdia Shaw? Ferdia Shaw? I just, that was terrible. That's definitely not how you say it. 
Have you any idea? 30 a shot, yeah. That's, I don't know, to be honest. Go with that. You're letting down your culture, man. <laughs> I don't know, I feel like this, I feel like that's wrong. You know, there's some, anyway, whatever. That The kid, the little kid, the main character, Josh Gad, Colin Farrell, and Judy Dench. What an all-star cast here we got. Um, the studio was, of course, Disney, naturally. Uh, the film won the 2020 Academy Award for Best Picture. Um, its genre is w- whatever you want, you know, family, adventure, torture, whatever. Um, had a runtime of 95 minutes. And the synopsis is, Artemis Fowl, a young criminal prodigy, hunts down a secret society of fairies to find his missing father. <laughs> uh, J- Jane, I'll start with you because you'd already uh, been very assertive on Letterboxd, which I appreciate. What do you think of Artemis Fowl? Um, do you want me to just read what I wrote on a letterbox, or do you want to... Do whatever you like. Let oh, us know what you thought. Um, on God, fuck everything about this movie except for Colin Farrell is uh, what I wrote. Um, I stand by that mostly. I think, um, I think like, Colin Farrell is the only decent part, and I think that, like, photography-wise, some of the shots were... I, I mean, I, I think, like, the majority of the film was well shot. I think some of the CGI was a bit dodge. But, like, they're the only two things... I can compliment at, at all in this film. I, I I genuinely hated the fact that I had to watch it. I hated the fact that I had to sit through there and just finish that. I was, I was, I mean, that's rare for me because like I always approach movies with an open mind. I was really open minded going into this. Like I knew about the so bad reviews, but I was like, I I I like bad movies. They're all right, but I genuinely bloody hated this. The fact that you liked Colin Farrell so much is even surprising to me. But. I- Okay, yeah, what about you, Fitzy? It's pretty terrible. I mean, it fails on pretty much every level. And, I mean, the worst thing about it, there's so much stuff that's wrong with it, but I think one of the worst things about it is that it's like, it doesn't even feel like, uh, it doesn't even do the basics correctly. Like, it doesn't feel like an adventure movie because they they shoot in, like, two locations. (laughs) (laughs) And so it just feels so, like, unfinished and... Yeah, it's terrible. I'll be you. Yeah, the movie's terrible. It's absolutely awful. But um, I mean, I I enjoyed it. I really did, honestly. I didn't enjoy all of it. There were there were aspects I was really bored, absolutely. But I was there. There were multiple occasions where I could barely comprehend what I was seeing on screen. Where it, I was just, I, I was just confounded. I'm still confounded thinking about it. I'm like. Did that actually happen in this movie? And I think this movie needs to be seen to be truly appreciated because, like, oh, okay, th- th- yeah, th- there's moments in this movie, guys. There's there's some crazy moments, and I feel like I was, uh, you know, I got the experience of getting high for the first time, which was quite, you know, exceptional for me um, watching this movie. <laughs> well, I don't know. Yeah, I don't know what else there is to say. It's just, it's it's terrible. I'm surprised that you were able to compliment that much about it, Jaden. To be honest, well, just Colin Farrell and like you know, like cinematography wise, I think it's pretty decent. I mean, like that—that's that, really, the, um, yeah. Like, I mean, like, like it's not—it's not—it's not spectacular, but I mean, like, I think like the the foul manor, whatever it is, like it's a nice enough location and they shoot it well. Um, that hideout in the mountains, you know, the the, the exterior shots—they're decent, and I think the fairy oh, city yeah. is like you know, it's it's cool enough to look at. 
Um, the, oh, the, yeah, scenes, the scenes in Italy are pretty nice to look at. I mean, apart from the fucking CGI troll, but um, you know, like, like I think it's it's nice to look at uh, for, like most of the movie, but like some when um with like the time freeze stuff and like that collapsing Josh Gad's nightmare fuel jaw thing, you know, <laughs> I, I, I think um I I think it balances out like you know the good and the bad in cinematography wise. Yeah, dude, that troll looks like straight out of um the Philosopher's Stone. Mm. Which is really funny, like 100 percent copy pasted asset, but um, yeah, 2001 CG. But um, yo, Fitzy, did you? Am I right in saying did you watch this movie one and a half times? Like, did you actually go back to the start of it? Oh no, I lied about that. Sorry. Oh, that's fine. No, I, I, as I was watching, and I'm like, if Fitzy actually did that, that's un- that's unbelievable. <laughs> I mean, where should we start? You know, I think there's a lot to dig into of many elements of the movie that's terrible. Um, the, um, we can talk about so, performances. We can talk about yeah. What do you want to talk about? I don't know. Should we jump in like with our history? So, Fitzy, have you? I can't remember. Did you say oh, you've yeah, read sure. any of the novels? No, no. And Finney, you had no idea what it was prior to this. Absolutely none. Right. So I've read one of the novels when I was younger. I didn't think it was brilliant or anything, but it was you, you know it's 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 a you know it's a child's adventure story, whatever, and like you know it does the job. But I also know um, the author Owen Colfer because he's also written some short stories for like Doctor Who and he's done some other work. So like I do have a bit of a history and that's why I was also hoping that it'd be decent enough because I I am somewhat familiar with him. But um, yeah. Okay. Okay. And so knowing nothing about it, does this <laughs> is this movie faithful to the story or to the characters in any way? Like how does it? I honestly can't recall a single thing about that book apart okay. from the fact that I had like mild enjoyment from it. Okay. okay. I remember like it was it was super popular amongst like my mates in like primary school and you know, it was like, you know, the hot book to read and when you in, in silent reading and whatever. But um you know. <laughs> right. I don't I, I don't think um, you know, eight years later it's gonna stand up to, you know, what my uh, thoughts was thoughts were. I, I think okay. I'm just going to throw out something that's terrible. What is? I don't understand anything in this movie. I don't. What is the plot of this movie? I don't. I I couldn't comprehend what was happening half the time. It was just. I mean, clearly due to the production issues, I think it's clear that it's a cobbled together mess. And I think watching it makes it clear. Um, th- there's just no logic to anything. I was. I I didn't understand who what I was looking at half the time. I don't. I didn't understand who the friggin' female fairy person was. She kept saying she had a dad. I didn't know who this dad was. It took me t- halfway through the movie to realise he's not even in the movie. I thought, is she the sister of uh, Artemis Fair? I don't know. Am I am I a total dumbass or was this plot incomprehensible? Um, I think I, you can, I, I understand the gist of it, but it was very badly put together, strung together. Like, um... You know, Colin Farrell is trapped by this person. They they want the the uh, what is it called? The big yellow thing. The yellow. The, the Oculus Rift. The Oculus, yeah. Yeah. And they want it because I think it gives them power or something. And it's the source the way, of the fairy power. Right, and the way for Artemis to get it is to like do this whole thing and let the dwarf come in and get it. But it was in, but it was in his house the whole time. Yeah, but he wasn't aware of that. He knew that the dwarf would be able to find it because of their 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 attraction to treasure, you know. 
Did he know that? Okay. Because yeah. his, his father had taught, because his father, because Daddy Artemis taught Junior Artemis about everything there is to know about fairies and, you know, yes. and, and like yes. dwarves and shit. So it was like, and now Officer Short's dad gave the Aculos to Daddy Artemis to protect. Now, the villain, I think his name is Opal, was aware yes. that Artemis Senior had the thing. So she took him. He? She? I don't know. Um, uh, yeah, whatever. I thought that was going to be a reveal in that decision. Yeah, no. Oh, yeah. And <laughs> she calls Junior, says, I want that for your dad. Um, but he has no idea. But he knows that the dwarves would have an idea as to where it was. So this entire plan he sets up was all just to get one dwarf, pretty much, I think. Yeah. Right. Okay. I mean... Like, sure, the fundamentals of that I got. I just, how it, it was all playing out point by point, I just had, it made no sense to me whatsoever. Because, am I, I could be totally tripping, but I feel like we had the, I, I, I have to skip over the Josh Gad drilling scene just for a second because that was, um, <laughs> yeah. But, so, so that happened. And then Josh Gad, like, breaks into the vault and, and he sees the Oculus Rift there. But then I swear to God, we cut to Artemis Fowl, in the exact same spot Josh Gad was just standing in and he's holding it too. And I was I was very confused by this. And then I didn't understand if they were in the same room or not. And then then but Josh Gad then swallowed it, but then he didn't swallow it because he had another one. I I didn't understand. I didn't even understand how Col Colin Farrell came back at the end, to be honest. They did something, the house kind of exploded in some way. Oh yeah. And then Colin Farrell was back, but the house was still trashed. So it's not time travel but it may be I, I i had no idea what happened it was just tele they just teleported them from the lair to the thing because was, it, was that all it was yeah because the because 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 the aculos is the source of power so the so the fairy yes. uses it to like you know boost her own power and then she's like ah oh, i'll bring him back and they bring him back there's levels to okay. this back levels levels yes absolutely <laughs> okay but so but did josh gad not swallow it I think he did for protection, but then he, he regurgitated it. But we never. But I swear to God, we just cut and Artemis just has it in his hands. Yeah. Oh, yeah. <laughs> I was like, what happened? Oh, and you know what? The oh, the worst cut in the movie was when they had the whole time bubble thing, and they're like, it's dangerous. You got to go out before it like explodes. And they're all inside of it. And then it explodes, and then it just. They're all fine. It turns to Dave Vader. <laughs> Do you remember that? Yes. That, like, that made no sense. No, nothing in this movie makes any sense to me anyway. You, were you guys also confused who the fairy little, whatever her name was? Was it Short? Whatever her name was? Yeah. Were you guys confused as to who she was? Because they kept alluding to some kind of, she's trying to avenge her father or, you know, clear her father's name or some shit. And I'm like, is your father Josh Gad? Is your dad no. Colin Farrell? No. And I had no idea. Her and, then I re and then it took me ages to realise her dad is no one we know. Yeah. Her dad is someone that she thinks was wronged by Colin Farrell, Artemis Fowl. And um, I think, yeah. I, haven't, I haven't read the book, but I think the story is supposed to be like, you know, there's this divide between fairies and humans and they're like, you know, the story is trying to be about um, you know, companionship and like coming together, you know, but they sure. don't do yeah. it well, really. No. No, this movie just has no rules. They established the the the, the, the time thing in the Italy scene, and where they just—it's just I don't know, like a force field where time freezes within it, I guess. 
And they established that, okay, everyone freezes except the fairy people. I get it. But then when they do it at the Artemis, the, the friggin' foul manor place, like, no one freezes? Everyone, what? Like, no. the butler character doesn't? I, I didn't, I, I, don't, I don't get it. I, I got no idea. Also, well, don't call him the butler because he'll snap you in half. That's true. That's oh, true. Oh. I, I don't want him snapping me in half. Also, when, um, I didn't, I didn't understand the plan part. Like, when the fairies are outside and Artemis was like, um, oh, you can't come inside because that's part of my plan. And then they didn't come inside because they were like, oh, we can't come inside. But, like, what so was the reason? Like the, you know, like, the vampire law, how, like, vampires aren't allowed to step foot inside your house unless you invite them in. I think it's, like, the same principle as that. It's just, really? like, part of their nature. I, I, that's what I thought it was. I, I don't know. It seemed like the oh, was trying yeah. to say that Artemis felt like set up something to make so, so they couldn't come inside. I don't know. Oh, oh, yeah, sorry, sorry. It took me a second to realise. You, you're talking about when he to- he tells Judy Dench to her, to, her, to her face, you can't come inside, and then we cut to her inside. Right. Is that no, doing? she's not inside the house, but they're like, yeah, he, he tells Judy Dench, you can't come inside. And then she's like, oh, damn it, we can't come inside now. You know? Yeah, like, no. What, I'm what pretty, yeah. I think it's because of that. I'm pretty sure it's because like that. That, like, magical law about, you know, creatures can't come in unless they're welcomed. I'm pretty sure it's just a long time. Oh, those okay, lines, okay. Yeah. I appreciate that you understood more of this movie than I did, Jane, because, I, I, to be clear, like, I'd like to think I'm not a total dumbass. Maybe, you know, actually, well, to be honest, I have. But regardless of that, this movie, if you haven't seen it, it was, it was just so confusing to watch. It was this oh. convoluted mess in every sense of the word. Just need to make that clear. Anyway, the, um... The performances were uh, probably, you know, the worst part. Amazing. God, what was with Judy Dench's fucking accent voice for us? We oh, think? God. <laughs> that was, Why? Oh that was Why uh, hurtful. <laughs> yeah, but I feel so bad for the, for the kid because, like, he's going to... This is, like, a stain on his life now, this movie. Oh, definitely. You know? Definitely. But it's not, it's not a good performance, I mean... It's I thought like Judy Dench was like the bad guy for like a, for like a good part of the movie because like they had that symbol of like a rascal yeah, kind of thing. That's I was what like, I thought. Yeah. I was like, oh, that's pretty obvious, isn't it? And then like it turns out she's fine. I'm like, oh, oh, alright. Yeah, I thought it would be the dad, the short dad they kept alluding to because I kept talking about him. So I thought it'd be like, oh, it's the it's right. the dad. That's the thing. But they they, they don't reveal it because they want to set it up for like a sequel or something. <laughs> this movie's like subverting your expectations, but it's not even aware it's doing it. It's just that confusing. Mm. We got, uh, what about Josh Gad, though, in this movie, guys? How good was he? Oh, God. It, oh. That, yeah. It was amazing. I feel so sorry for him. Because, like, I, I, I believe Josh Gad has talent, naturally, you know, in his position. He's a talented person, I guess. I haven't seen a lot of his work. I, I've got no doubt he's, you know, competent at his job. But, like... What what direction was he given in this movie? Just everything he said was so belongs. I don't even know where it belongs. Belongs on the lowest common denominator of media, wherever it belongs. Everywhere. Yeah, it was just it was just unfunny as hell. Like it was just oh, it was so it, it got so grating and annoying. Like he's just a. Uh, I mean, I'm sure the character is interesting in the book or whatever, but 
Yeah, it just didn't work here. And so, so, yeah, and he's like, he's locked in the MI6 place or whatever, and he's like narrating the movie. Oh, yeah. And we keep coming back to him, and, he's, and it's black and white for no reason. And it's because it's like just, camera lens. It's like I the guess, interrogation but, but, thing. No. I guess, but then even the shots of the of the dude watching him is, are black and white. Oh yeah, oh. yeah. <laughs> so it's like anyway, yeah. And he's just staring at the camera, narrating the movie, and he's, it's just terrible. It's just terrible. Yeah, his voice is bad. Yeah. Do you guys remember when he stuck his thumbs off the, up that dude's nose? <laughs> what? And he just like, what even happened? And he like exploded or some shit? I can't even remember. Well, when did that happen? Yeah, when was this? There was, like, there was the goblin and he stuck his thumbs up the goblin's nostrils. Did he? I thought he just like put his no. hands like, on the side of his head, didn't he? In the cell? Didn't he just like put him on the side of his head? Okay, I guess I'm remembering wrong. Oh, no. He stu- no, he definitely stuck his thumbs right up his nostrils. That, that was- <laughs> He's doing COVID testing. <laughs> <laughs> exactly. Oh. Uh, all right. I mean, I can't avoid it any longer. I'm sorry. So, F- Fitzy, can you attempt for me to recount... The Josh Gad scene in this movie. Oh, okay. So he decides to tunnel on the ground to get to the foul manor, and um, he opens wide, and he he eats the ground and shits it out at the same time repeatedly. It's very disturbing, and uh, everyone should watch it. It's a must-watch scene. He. He opens his jaw, this, the worst CG jaw shit we talked about earlier. He, like, rips his jaw open to make his mouth enormous. Mm. He crouches down, can, starts eating the ground, I guess, eating the dirt. And as Fitzy said, his pants split open and he <laughs> literally shits it out onto the camera. Yeah. He actually shits, shits it out. I'm not... It was... I, I That was the moment where it happened, and I was like, couldn't comprehend what I'd seen for 30 seconds. And at the end of the movie, I still wasn't even sure I had seen it. I was like, no, but he didn't actually (laughs) shit on the camera, right? (laughs) And then I looked it up on YouTube, and he did. They joke about it earlier in the film, like, with the goblins in the cage, where they're like, you know, oh, you're, like, eating dirt for a living, and it's like, whatever, and they're like, you know, oh, just don't stand behind you when you do it. And I was like, oh, that implies that he shits it out. But I didn't actually think that they were going to show it on screen. Genius foreshadowing. And they do. And I was, I was, it was horrifying. I mean, like, <laughs> genuinely. That is the most, that's top five most terrifying things I've seen on screen. Like, it needs an R rating. <laughs> you know? Yeah, films that scared you as a child or whatever. Yeah, our question of the week. Yeah. Uh, well, okay, what the hell else can we do? So, so this movie kind of just ends at one point, I guess. Because they revive Butler because Judy Dench lets them and then he's like, I'm back now and then they like you said, Jane, they teleport Colin Farrell back into the house and he's like, Yeah, it's all G now. No, oh, dude, and the then... closing dialogue is so cringe. Oh, oh yeah. dude. I'm yeah. Artemis Fowl and I'm a criminal master. Oh god. <laughs> oh. Get out of here. Oh, can we get the slow-mo walking shot? <laughs> yeah. Oh, yeah. I almost cried when I saw that. From, mm. a, from hysterics. 
I mean, like, there's, there's just so much of the dialogue. It's just, there's I, nothing is well written at all. I mean, like, even like the opening when he's talking to his like counselor, and he's like, "Oh, you respect no one." He's like, "Of course I do." Oh, I know where this is going. He's going to say some famous yeah, like, the scientist. Yeah. He's like, "Oh, but son. Oh, fucking obviously." <laughs> <laughs> yeah, and like the character, like. Like, even the characters are just poorly written. I mean, like, they set up, like, um, Dom to be, like, some badass, but, you know, he just gets his ass kicked the entire film. Um, and then, like, his his niece, they're like, oh, yeah, she's also a badass. But then, like, oh, what she's shown what, to, what she's shown doing is serving food twice and then running away, away being a damsel in distress. Like, good on you, Disney. This 1960s called. They want their character back. Honestly. Th- that character was the most bizarre thing I've seen in my life. We... It- the character gets a one-minute little intro scene where we see her fencing and shit. I'm like, oh, all right, we're seeing a badass here. She does literally nothing. Yeah. Is she, like you said, she serves food. She has probably four lines of dialogue. That's and we so never see her again. offensive to the character, is it not? I mean, to 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 introduce this, you know, brave young girl, you know, to this, you know, I guess they're trying to, you know, be a bit of an inspiration or role model or whatever, and then just show her serving food. I mean, like... I don't know. Like I, the way I took that was just like that. Like that's that's so bad. Mm. I totally, I totally see that. But at the same time, I think you're almost giving the film too much credit by suggesting that they even remotely like put any consideration into the character at all. You know what I mean? When um when they're having the troll battle in the house and she was there for a second, I, I was like, who is she? Like, I forgot that, that? I forgot that she was in the house with them. Yeah. And then she was just dangling from the, from the balcony. Yeah. And, and then, then climbs up fine. And then they f- fell down, didn't they? Like her and Artemis fell, they fell off and they were fine. Do you remember that? Yes. Yes. They fell off the chandelier thing. And then, uh, yeah, that's right. and then, they were, okay. But when the, Bigger guy, the uh, Domo fell. He like collapsed or whatever. No, he got crushed by a troll. That's why he. That's why. Yeah, he yeah, he did. But when he hit the ground, he was like, couldn't get up for a sec. Oh, right. I don't know. Oh, uh, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. Okay, no, don't worry. I remember what you're talking about. That's right. The thing is, um, Domovoy, like I've, I've seen the actor in um, he's he's also in one of Guy Ritchie's films as, as a character called Tank, and like his his role in that is probably like as equally as minor. But it's so much better because it's just so much. It's, it's just a, a much better suited role for him. So seeing him taken from that and then placed into this, it just felt so jarring to see him like this, and it just wasn't right for that for that actor. You know, did you guys feel that as well? That he was miscast. Uh, yeah, maybe. Which character was this? Sorry, the butler. Did you feel he was miscast? Oh, right. No, not really. No. Uh, okay. I like him though. Not in this movie, but yeah. So, yeah. I mean, I didn't even like earlier dialogue. Like Colin Farrell's dialogue is bad. Like, um, what did he, yeah. he say? Like, oh, these fairy stories—they just have a way. At the end, they make you smile. You know, <laughs> <laughs> it's just. Uh. Look, I appreciate that Jaden appreciates Colin Farrell enough to make him a pro of this movie, but he's not good in the movie at all. And there's there's not a single good line of dialogue in this movie. I think I'd be hard-pressed to find one. And as someone who knew nothing about Artemis Fowl at all, and getting the intro sequence of Artemis Fowl going surfing, and then, oh, yeah. yeah, he gets the he uh. goes to a little, like, yeah, to the, what was it, the therapist thing, like you said, and he heads home, and... 
and Colin Farrell starts talking about fairies and leprechauns. I, I had, I was so confused. I was like, what's what fairies? He's talking about fairies, and he's saying like pixies were real. And the movie did just such a bad job for someone who's never heard of this franchise of of this source material to of in any way like transitioning me into it. Where I feel like the 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 kind of I guess traditional thing that filmmakers would do is that they'd give you a little intro sequence at the start of the film, showing you the magical side of the world, and then cutting away to the mundane stuff, and then you already have an understanding of what the fairies and shit are, you know. Kind of like how Onward did it, I guess. But this movie just, yeah, I had no idea what they were talking about. Dude, when he went surfing, I thought they were setting up some like point break shit for later on. I was like, all right, he's going to be surfing a massive wave and he's going to have the Aculus in his hand and you like football toss it to, you know, someone, you know. I was like, yeah. But then, you know, they do nothing. Missed opportunity because there was a massive wave too. I know. The movie just has no sense of, of building to anything for the audience, I don't think. Like, looking back on it, I guess the climax of the movie is supposed to be when, like, the time force field is collapsing around them and shit, I guess. But in that moment, there was just no sense of any urgency or or that I was even getting towards the end of the movie. I felt like everything that had happened so far was the most drawn-out first act of any other movie. And then yeah. this was supposed to be the climax of the movie. And then we get 20 minutes at the end where everyone just kind of hugs and yeah, like Artemis does the, he gets like bond shots and shit and he gets, he is like, I'm a criminal mastermind. And I'm like, I don't know anything you've done in this movie to even be classified as a criminal mastermind. I don't, did he even do anything illegal until the end? Wait, what did he do illegally? I don't know. He like rescued Josh Gad. That's the only oh, thing illegal, right? Yeah, yeah, right. Yeah. right? Yeah, probably. I mean, like, but throughout the rest of the film, I mean, like, it's other people doing the work for him anyway, isn't it? I mean, like, the butler shows him, like, you know, all, all his dad's stuff, and, you know, like, the fairy tells him this and that, and then, you know, it, it feels like everyone else is doing stuff for him until, you know, I guess he masterminds the breakout. Yeah. yeah. It was just such a jarring thing for me where, again, maybe fans of the books already know him as that, so whatever, but watching it, I'm just, I've witnessed this really smart kid protect this acorn thing and bring back his dad and now he's telling me he's a criminal mastermind it, it yeah. yeah i didn't get it at all and then at the end when they rescued josh gad and they were flying away in the helicopter and then the um what's her name the short chick the fairy chick was just there for some reason yeah i think another character that has to be pointed out is that like lieutenant that opal like freeze <laughs> and then like He's, he's meant to be, like, you know, a bit of a spanner in the works. But then he rocks yes. up and he just starts saying some stuff. And then, you know, he takes Judy Dench out of power. But then, like, when something needs to be happening, you know, the captain's like, oh, should I do this? And Judy Dench is like, I didn't make you captain for nothing. So then he does it anyway, and, like, effectively, like, you know, reducing that character to, like, absolutely nothing at all. <laughs> yeah. and, like, it's... Wait, so Judy Dench has someone who outranks him. Like, what's the point of him? Then? Yeah, I know. Like, it just... It... Oh. So you said the villain's name was Opal. News to me. I'm, I'm pretty sure it is, isn't it? Um, <laughs> yeah, yeah, Opal. Okay. So, so Opal kidnaps Artemis Fowl, Senior Colin Farrell off screen, I guess. And she just kind of has him hostage. And, and she, as far as we understand, she just wants the Oculus Rift. So, but and she just pops up like three times in the movie. She just like gives him a call and just reminds him. <laughs> oh, yeah. You know. 
and she has that biz- I don't know why the, the the phone like projects green on her face, but anyway, and. <laughs> And yeah, I was convinced this has to be a reveal because we've got yeah. the villain of the movie apparently kidnapping Colin Farrell. You know, it's a pretty significant thing I think to do in in a screenplay. And it's a hooded figure. Who is this person? Speak like a kind of a what would you call it? Like a um, like a messed up voice, um, modulated voice. And okay, well this is going to be someone, right? And then the movie just like ends. So. <laughs> Yeah, no, I thought it would be a reveal too. So yeah. Yeah, I'm gl- I'm glad you thought that. Yeah, yeah. I was I was very confused. Just to kind of drive it home a little bit more. You know, let's bring up some more terrible dialogue and rub salt in the word. Terrible uh, acting and shit. All right. So, Artemis. Um, when he f- when his dad's on the news for being a criminal, he's like, he's not a criminal. He's my dad. Oh, yeah, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and just, like, scrapes it over and over again, and he's just like, well, okay. All right. I don't know if you know much about your dad's professional activities, you know? Mm. Just, yeah. I think um, uh, the dialogue that needs to be pointed out is, like, cliche um, when Judy Dench is talking to Short, and she's like, you're 84, you're young, you know, you've got oh, plenty yeah, of time to do. Oh, yeah, that was terrible. I'm like, oh, God, I mean, it's like, no, like lines like that have truly like stayed there welcome and just need to get be like just banished from screenplays. Yeah, I, I generally agree. It especially doesn't really work in this movie when you can almost like hear it in the delivery of the lines that they they expect the audience to go, oh, oh, she's eight hundred and four. Like what? He's you know? serving a four hundred year sentence. What? <laughs> Like they always like leave room for the audience to react to that. I'm like, holy, what? You telling me she's eighty? Just so they capture uh, Artemis captures the fairy chick short, and um, there was a line of dialogue. Did this happen? Okay, this is another was I dreaming moment where she wakes up, she like uh, jerks up, and she just says, "Not happy." <laughs> I don't remember that. But that's hilarious. Oh god! That that it, it rings a bell. I think I think yeah. I'm pretty sure. Yeah. Uh, it, it just wakes up, not happy, <laughs> and then cuts away. Oh god! That 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 actually was like a three year old was on set that day and directed that scene. Kenneth Kenneth is out to lunch. You know, can can uh, can your kid step in and do this? One thing I haven't even touched on yet, you know, my specialty, of course. Do the action scenes in this movie are awful, the action sequences. Um, I love when we get our kind of first glimpse of them, when they're kind of out on the, uh, just outside the front door of the house, I guess. They're in kind of, I don't know, like the porch space, and a few fairies come in and start attacking them, and then we get the um, the little sequence where they try and do some Matrix shit with, like, um, a ton of camera movement and 360 shit and lots of CG everywhere. Um, of Artemis and Butler taking out these fairies and shit, and it looks just terrible. It's so bad that you can... I, I've only seen it once on normal speed. You can see the cuts in between, like, trying to make it all look like one shot. You can clearly see where, okay, I just saw that cut right there when you were drawing that bow, and it happened, like, three times in, like, the space of 30 seconds. 
just terrible. Yeah, I mean, the movie has like almost nothing going for it, really. Um, and like, as I said, if they if they, they went to different locations and places, they might have been better and had them meet people along the way or something. But the fact that like sure. 80% of this movie is just in this one set in the house is yeah makes it so bad. Absolutely. Absolutely. And you'd think, you know, if you're keeping it so confined into this space that you could at least from that create a focused story. But even the story is really confusing and convoluted. And they don't even really have a lot to play with. There's literally one MacGuffin, like five characters, and one location. And it's, it's somehow still confusing. And, like, in the trailer, they had, like, different places that they were, like, they had another country or something that I was supposed to go to and another, oh. other characters and stuff. Like, there was oh, this shit. white fairy character that was in the trailer and there all these all these different uh, cuts in the trailer that aren't in the movie. It's always a shame hearing about that kind of shit, I think, just because, yeah, you know, so much effort kind of went into these different spaces, these different areas that we never see, and they just have to be cut because, yeah. I mean, the fact that they were cut, I would assume that it would be even more of a mess with them, so. Yeah, maybe. Um, how did you guys feel about the centaur? Oh, yes. Oh, I forgot about him. He <laughs> um... was like Link from The Matrix. Like, serves the exact same role, you know? Like, just cut back to him, and he's like, just... Oh. Saying shit. I mean, he serves like the same role that like you know two million other characters doing it in two million other films. You know, that's true. Is that's he, true. Is, is I you... did specifically think of Link for, just because we'd watch the. Yeah, no, nah, uh, but like you know, he's just like the tech guy, but like he's such a poor iteration yeah. of the tech guy. And uh, <laughs> oh, <God. laughs> yeah. they're trying to be diverse, include you know, horses can now be tech guys. You know, <laughs> I'll hit you with some trivia. You know, okay. Uh, the movie rights to Artemis Fowl was sold to Disney before the first book ever got published. That's insane. What? Next. Sorry, yes. Yeah. Oh, I just said, wow, that's, that's interesting. Oh, yeah, yeah, it is, it is interesting, isn't it? Yeah. Colin Farrell's involvement in the film was not announced until March 2020, which is, what, three months ago? Nearly a year and a half after the teaser trailer was released and three years after filming wrapped. I mean, he's only in, like, four scenes, so it's not that hard to, like, you know, keep him in down there. Yeah, conceal everything. <laughs> and who's on set, like, really excited about this movie? Man, I've got a leak that Colin Farrell's in this, this amazing film that we're making here. Finally, Dame Judi Dench is casting as Commander Root, the head of a secret police of fairies, is a homage to Dench's previous role in the James Bond films as M, the chief of the secret intelligence service. Wow. Judy Dench being put in in charge of two organizations and two separate film franchises. Just what an amazing reference. We've tore this movie apart, okay? You do you stand by anything you do like about it, Jane? You stood by the cinematography earlier. Is there anything else? No, that's literally it. Like I, I like after it was done, I sat there for a good while, just trying to think back. Like, was there anything I actually appreciated? I mean, like. I mean, cinematography and set design kind of with a fairy with like the fairy city sort of like type of stuff was like kind of cool, I guess. But, like that's all. Like there's, mm. I cannot think of anything else like that. I actually genuinely thought, oh, that's decent about the film. Yeah, have you got you got any positive uh, positive spitsy? Uh, not really. Um, 
even like the the Gaelic music was they tried to add like personality to the film was annoying. Oh yeah. I mean, yeah. Man, so I saw someone called it like the least Irish Irish film there is. Alright. I guess that speaks to how you know, I don't know anything about Irish films, obviously, because I will say, uh, don't get me wrong, this is not a positive of the movie. Just from my personal experience, I was like, oh, okay, it's kind of different for me to hear a lot of Irish accents in these kind of movies. I was like, not a positive by any stretch of the imagination. I was just like, wow, I'd like to see more of this in better movies. Yeah, this is going to be like the one Irish Disney film ever, you know, they're going to be known for this one. (laughs) Yeah, they'll never go back after this. Wait, is Brave Scottish or Irish? Scottish. Uh. Oh, yes, yeah, you're right, yeah, yeah. Um, well then, all right. Oh, I mean, positives for me. Um, the movie's colourful. I mean, I can give it that. Like, I don't know, that doesn't really add a lot, barely any points, but I will say that. At least it's not, you know, the most dull thing to look at. Um... But yeah, it has it has other visual issues too. Where the, the beginning ten minutes of the movie is such a clash of visual styles. I mentioned the black and white like MI six footage for no reason. It was just why. Um, I hate the fonts clashing. We go back and forth in the first. I apologize for this. This is such a me thing to complain about. But in the first ten minutes, we have the the credit fonts popping up for like a Kenneth Branagh film. Are like super stylized, like meant to be kind of, I guess, ancient looking kind of Irish vibe things. And then we end up using like a super tech, high tech font for MI6. And then we go back and forth between the two fonts. I'm like, just choose a font for fuck's sake. But um, anyway, <laughs> sorry. The font's just a motif for like, you know, the theories and the and the MI6, you know, that's that's why they change up between them. But like back and forth. Oh my God. I'm just, I'm, I'm just, I'm just saying, I'm just saying. Right I know. Now, yeah. <laughs> I know. It's, I appreciate it. All right. Uh, I must fail out of 10. I'll go first. Um, I'll give the movie a 2 out of 10. I don't think it's a 1 because at the end of the day, in my, I couldn't give it a 1 in my right mind because I had the amount of enjoyment that this movie has brought me. You know, I was laughing hysterically watching it multiple times. Um, it is a film I'm not going to forget anytime soon, I don't think. At least it's not a forgettable movie. It's, and it has boring parts, but overall... I thought it was really hilariously terrible at a lot of times, and I think it is worth watching in some vein for that reason, if that's your, kind of up your alley. Um, so for that reason, I can't give it a one, but I give it a two because it is absolutely terrible. How about you, Jen? I can't even look at it in that vein of it being so bad it's funny because, like, it just isn't. It's not funny at all to me. Like, it was just horrid. It was truly just a dull affair and, like, just rolling my eyes constantly and just... I was so taken out of it. I just didn't care at all about anything that happened. Um, sure, but like, it, it's, it's just a one-star film for me. And like, I don't give out one-stars often because I feel like there's always something to be appreciated about a film. You know, there's always some work that people have put in, like, to, you know, to go really hard at. So like, I feel like, I always feel like giving a one's a bit of an injustice to the film. But like that, like, it, I just couldn't help it with this because like, it, it was like, like I said at the start, I genuinely hated watching this film. And few films have given me that experience, you know? <laughs> like, yeah, one star. Curry, just to be clear, you, you one out of ten? One out of ten, correct, yeah. Perfect, perfect. Fitzy? Yeah. Well, um, uh, like, there's terrible things that you can laugh at here, but it's mainly just not 
like those moments are few and far between in between all the really the the boring chunk you know the the good chunk of the movie is just boring because none of the elements are good and keep you invested so I mean even even with the terrible moments you can laugh at like I don't know how much credit I should give the movie for that you know so I'll give it a one out of ten as well there's really nothing I can you know say yeah that was good about it so yeah I yeah yeah I get you I get you I guess for me it was just. I mean, you guys obviously weren't as quite as entertained by the terrible moments as I was, but and I just the only thing this movie could have done worse was be more boring. And I have to, I have to say, for me, it wasn't the most dull thing I've ever seen. And as a result, yeah, I can't give it a one. But that, you know, who cares? We're splitting hairs. We all think it's absolutely awful. I think even if it. Like maybe it isn't the most dull thing I've ever seen, but I think it's the fact that it tries to be exciting, but it still ends up dull, just makes it seem even more boring to me. You know, right? Mm-hmm. Yeah, it's, it, yeah. Yeah, I get that. Yeah, I mean, I'm sure I've I've probably watched action films that are you know completely uninvested, you know, boring or more boring than this, but it's you know just from a technical perspective, you gotta. Like, sometimes the most boring movies are, like, you know, kind of average 6 out of 10 kind of things. You know what I mean? Yeah, yeah, definitely. But they still have things going for them, but, you know, this doesn't. So. I mean, look, if the only compliment I can give the movie is that it could have been a bit more boring, then, you know. Yeah. Not speaking too highly of it. <sighs> but, um, anyway, if you haven't seen the film, make sure you absolutely have to check out Josh Gad shitting on the camera. Oh yeah, it was a once in a lifetime scene. I think. I mean, when when writers and producers like they agree to do scenes like that, do they do they actually think that they're? I mean, I guess we have to keep in mind we're not the primary audience. I mean, you know, like twelve year old kids are. But I mean, like, do they, do they think they're doing a good job in like including like scenes and shots like that? That's a great question. <laughs> I don't know. Maybe. They, yeah, maybe they think they're servicing a, a um, you know, a four to seven-year-old audience potentially, um, but yeah, I don't know. Let's get to news chat, guys. Um, we got a, we got a Fallout Amazon Prime series was announced yesterday. That's pretty exciting. I know. Uh, uh, me and Jaden are Fallout fans. I don't know. Do you have any attachment to Fallout Fitzy? I'm not sure. Oh, the game. Yeah. Um, oh, I thought you were talking about Mission Impossible. Oh, um, oh my apologies. No, no. No, I haven't, I haven't played Fallout. Oh, good. But uh, yeah, so we're getting this, this Fallout Amazon TV series. We don't know anything else about it other than, uh, of course, headed by Lisa Joy and Jonathan Nolan. Westworld, are you shitting me, dude? What a combo. What a, what a strange combo. But, I mean, I'm all about it. That sounds super exciting. I don't know. Yeah, uh, what could it be about, Jane? Have you got any ideas? Are we just gonna, are we gonna pick a time period, pick a setting, and stick with it, or, um, yeah, I don't know. What do you think? I'm not too sure because like I remember back when Fallout Four released, like in the months following that, there was like heaps of rumors about a Fallout Four like ad, like movie adaptation, and it's like that's that that like that that's like the Fallout Four piece, like that that's a Fallout like you know media that I've been you know thinking was going to come. So I, when the TV series was announced, I was pretty surprised. Um, 
Yeah. With picking a time and setting, I'm not really sure because I mean, like, I think like what Fallout Three is like what the most celebrated isn't it, of the series. I guess that New Vegas. Uh, argu- arguably New Vegas. Yeah. Arguably New Vegas. Um, yeah. So whether they choose to adapt like the storyline of like one of the big films, like one of the big games, or whether they just choose to take a different direction, um, it, it's interesting that this was announced because like I was I was going to talk about in like my what what I've watched this week, but like um because like we watched Watchmen, I, I watched Watchmen. And like it creates this alternative mm. history, and I was going to compliment like media that does that, and I was like Fallout was going to be another like item I bring up about that. So like, yeah, yeah. So Fallout Four creates well, not Fallout Four, like just Fallout, the Fallout series creates this alternate history, and it does it really well. Where it's like this really, you know, like the America still got like this nineteen sixties Art Deco aesthetic, and like you know, like certain yeah. like inventions were never involved, like like you know, created and like they're like still steampunk, steampunk, like you know, um, mechanics and stuff like that. Um, so I think it's, it's, I think uh, like it's a, it's a really rich world that they can just take from and they don't have to adapt a story from. So I think they've got so much they can do with it. So, yeah. Definitely. I don't, they could adapt one of the games that that's a, I don't think they will though. No, I don't the think way that, yeah. Yeah. The way that Jonathan Nolan and, uh, Lisa Joy were talking about, it, they had a little statement, um, and the way they complimented the universe and said they were fans of the universe and we, we were looking forward to exploring more. I, I, I won't, I don't know exactly what they said, but it was paraphrasing something along the lines of we're really looking forward to exploring um, the the kind of uh, satirical, uh, political, uh, that kind of side of the world more, um, which is obviously at the heart of what Fallout is, which is really interesting. But mm-hmm. I think that statement alone to me kind of rings like, okay, you're not adapting something. Here. You're, you're, you're digging into the universe, but you're going to tell us a new story. Yeah. I think, but yeah, I don't know. I think also if they were to adapt Fallout 4, it'd be a bit too similar to Westworld, I guess, like with the synths and stuff. I mean, like, I mean, like it's, it's nothing alike, oh, definitely. but like, you know, like, it's nothing like, but it's, it's, it's the same as well, you know? Um, yeah, 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 yeah. So yeah. I, I think they should probably stay away from that game. Um, you know, I'm keen for that though. Very keen for it. Yeah, and I don't, th- I don't think any of the game stories by themselves, like outside of video games, really work. You know, because at the end of the day, Fallout Three story is about finding your dad. At the end of the day, Fallout Four story is about finding your son. Um, I don't know how riveting you can make that in a TV series. You know, it works in video game format. But um, What's yeah, the I don't know. I think because like, you're like a mailman, aren't you, or something like that? Like you're a courier. Yeah, I believe. Yeah, I don't know New Vegas as well. I believe it's, yeah, something like that. I think it's more general. I don't even know how you'd kind of go about adapting it because I think it's very much rooted in the, the character progression and the quests and things. Do you think that they will at least take a setting that we've seen from the games or do you reckon they'll just abandon the games completely and just choose a new setting as well? I think they'd choose a new setting. I think so. You know, we've seen, excluding Fallout 1 and 2, but, you know, we've seen Washington DC, we've seen Boston, and we've seen, obviously, Las Vegas. And I think I think they can... I, if I were them, I'd choose another city, and I think they probably will. Yeah, I do love like Boston. Like, I, I like I, I do love like the Fallout Four map, though. I mean, like it's yeah, it's, it's superb, and like I, I would, I'd have no quarrels like you know seeing that world on screen. I saw some speculation that potentially they could do like an anthology series where every episode is set somewhere else in a different vault, um, in a different city or something, and that and that could be interesting. I don't know if they'd do it, but it's not really their style. Well, I guess yeah. Like that—that's that, another question. Like, will they focus on like a vault dweller, like the games do, or do you reckon they were just like you know some random surface people? You know. Yeah, yeah. It could be anything. I do think focusing on a vault dweller 
you know, the story I think is going to be a lot more complicated, like I said, but focusing on a vault dweller, I think is a pretty safe way to make sure that the story is still kind of grounded in what we know, even though it's probably going to be quite more complex and different, you know? Yeah, for sure. I think it'd be kind of jarring if we're just thrown into some, you know, we're following these raiders. I think the vault they choose will be interesting as well because you know how like each vault was actually like an experiment. So like whatever like vault they choose as 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 an experiment will also like speak levels to the show. I think as well. Definitely, definitely. And what service is it coming to? Amazon Prime. Okay. Cool. Yeah, who who knows when it comes out? We've known about that Amazon uh, Lord of the Rings show for like three years at this point, and I don't even believe that's begun production yet. So. Um, I, I, at least for principal photography anyway. So this show could still be five years away. Um, it's hard to say. But yeah. So do you reckon that would interfere with like Westworld, Westworld's schedule of like how many more seasons was it that you said? Like four more seasons? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, three or four more seasons. Yeah. So that's a good point. I don't, I would be surprised if they actually show run this show. Um, I think Westworld would still be, still be their main priority because the main thing from the statement that they'd put out was the fact that their, I can't even remember what the name of Joy and Nolan's production company is, but whatever the name of that company is, they're producing the Fallout show. So naturally they're going to be involved, but I think that we're probably going to see a different team of writers and showrunners. But yeah, I'll be looking forward to that. Cool, cool. Uh, we got Margot Robbie is going to be in a Pirates of the Caribbean spinoff apparently. Do you, I saw this kind of headline, Jan. I didn't really click into it. Is this a solid report? What do we know about this? Is this? Do you know if it's like confirmed? I, I doubt it's confirmed, but is it from reliable sources? Do you know? Well, it's just rumors at this point, as far as I'm aware. But like, I think the the thing is that because like, there's apparently there's meant to be. So this is there's already a spinoff of Pirates of the Caribbean, like reportedly in the works, that it comes from the Chernobyl writer Craig Mazin. Um. But this is but this isn't the Margot Robbie one apparently. Apparently this is one from the Birds of Prey scriptwriter. And that's the one that Margot's going to be attached to. Yeah, so I mean like there's two parts of the campaign like spin-offs in the in the work, so um I don't know. I I'm I'm not really too sure what's happening with either of them apart from, you know, one writer's attached to this and Margot's attached to that, so I mean I guess I'd be eh, I don't know if I'd be interested. Maybe. I don't know. Do any would any of you care about this? Yeah, another Pirates of the Caribbean movie. I saw somewhere they wanted people wanted uh, Johnny Depp back for one of them. Yeah, I don't know. Would he be like yeah a main character? Maybe. Mm, don't know. Cameo. I don't know. Johnny Depp's great though. We got um. Finally. Uh, the Academy has been adding members like there's no tomorrow with a new focus on diversity, which is great. Um, and they're doing this ahead of the delayed uh, 2021 Academy Awards. Um, Jan, you told me earlier, do you know how many new members they added and in, in all the specifics? 819 new members. And wow, okay. So they had a goal of meeting a quota of adding more more women, more people of colour and stuff. And like they, they, I'm pretty sure like they well and truly met that with mm. um in, in this intake. Um, some of the big names are like uh, Zendaya and like Florence Pugh and Ari Aster and like Park mm-hmm. So Damn. Um, yeah, but I mean, you know, um, obviously like that's going to influence what we see being nominated and winning next year because with this diversity, you know, 
I mean, you know, different projects will appeal to different people. So how this, um, yeah. how much it's going to influence it, I'm not sure because, you know, like it's still going to, I don't know how much, like, like I don't know what the current weighting is in terms of gender and race and whatever, but, um, you know, it's, it is, it is another avenue of representation. So maybe we will be seeing a more, a more diverse lineup next year. Yeah. I mean, the potential for that sounds cool. Um, I mean, I mean, this is just, you know, universally positive thing, I guess. I didn't even really know prior to that, that like who the Academy comprised of. So has it always been, it's always just a collection of actors and directors, I guess. So I didn't even understand that. Yeah. So it's just a point. Well, like Leonardo DiCaprio actually votes on movies. Yeah. I know like Edgar Wright's the main one that I'm all like, cause like, cause like I follow Edgar Wright and he's pretty, he's pretty like well connected on like most platforms. So he tweets out and he, you know, puts up photos and whatever. And like, so like I, I, I get like a lot of my stuff from him and like, so he watches all, he watches every film that is nominated before he puts his nominations in. And like, whether the, like everyone does that or whether, you know, people just watching their categories or what, and you know, what influences their choices as well. So, I mean, you know, there's a lot of different stuff. Yeah. Interesting. Interesting. In my brain, the Academy was always just like, I don't, didn't even really think about it. There's some kind of like elusive, like it, group of a hundred people who it's a cult just from kind of, shot. <laughs> I'm not even joking. That's, but now that I actually think about it, that's kind of what I was thinking. Not like in a violent way, but just like, they're just these people that sit in a boardroom and do nothing but yeah, <laughs> do this creepy shit. But, um, okay. I didn't even really understand that the people like getting nominated and the people in the room on the night are actually in voting. The Academy. Okay. Yeah. Yeah. Whenever they thank the academy, they're just thanking the room. <laughs> I mean, because like I used to have like a similar thing to you, like where I thought like you know it was just like you know a bunch of people in, in a room and just like you know just tossing their votes, but like, you know what gives them the right to do it. But it makes sense that you know it is like just well regarded, you know, in, industry professionals. Or whatever. <laughs> yeah, definitely. What have you guys been watching this week? Um, Fitzy, do you want to kick us off? Sure. Bunch of stuff. Um, the Blair Witch Project, um, found footage classic horror movie. Um, uh, it succeeds, I think, because like they don't they don't uh, show you much. They just kind of hint at the horror. They're like stuck in the woods, and they hear sounds around them, and it just gets more tense as the movie goes on. Uh, so that was good. Um, River's Edge, um, uh, it's, um, stars Keanu Reeves and Crispin Glover, the guy who played, uh, George McFly. Oh, yeah. And, um, this 80s movie, it's a bunch of friends and one of them kills this, one of them kills this girl who was part of their friend group and they have, like, varying reactions to it basically Crispin Glover's like wants to protect him and like doesn't care about her and Keanu Reeves is like obviously oh this is bad wants to report him and it's just kind of about um you know uh our capacity for like apathy and like not caring and kind of exploration of uh this nihilistic 80s culture I guess um uh The Descent um Horror, horror movie, bunch of, um, bunch of women get stuck in a cave with 
uh, creatures in it. It's very claustrophobic. Um, and, uh, yeah, it's good, scary. And, uh, two more, uh, Thief. It's a Michael Mann film. And, um, uh, it's probably, it's probably his best character study film, I think. It kind of follows this. It's, uh, James Kahn from The Godfather. He played Sonny. And, um, he's this kind of aggressive, like, independent, you know, hardworking guy, like some of man's characters, you know, the guys from Heat and, uh, Vincent from Collateral. Was it Vincent or, well, Tom Cruise's character? Yeah. Um, yeah. And it's just about him and how he's, like, anti, uh, anti-authority, anti-people and how he became to come that way it's very it's very stylish uh, like noir you know like 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 man's films and i'm pretty sure it's, it's probably shot in film it kind of looks like it um so yeah that was that was good another michael man it's kind of yeah he's got a kind of running thing of like noir and like this character who's like you know independent and stuff so um yeah and then uh, for a few dollars more, which is um, another, how do you say, Jane? Jen, uh, any? Oh, I know it's uh, Sergio Leone. Um, uh, Sergio Leone film, part of the Dollars trilogy, the second one, and um, it's really brilliant as well. I still love, uh, I still like um, the Good, the Bad, and the Ugly more, but it's good and it's. Uh, in its own way, I guess. If you like the good, the bad, and the ugly, then definitely watch that as well. So, yeah. Cool. Do the other Dollars movies have that same theme? No. No, but, um, like, the one from For a Few Dollars More is, like, just as iconic, I think. Like, I'm sure you would have heard of it. Like, once yeah. a year. Oh, really? Yeah, yeah. Do you remember I said, oh, okay. like, um, in, when we, were talk- when we were discussing the good, the bad, and the ugly, I think that they used... Um, the right. thing from Bad Angel Eyes. Do, do you remember that now, or was it? Um, which thing do you mean? So, like, like that main, like, so, like, when they're having the, like, the uh, Mexican standoff at the end, like, yeah. when they cut to Angel Eyes, I swear for a second that there's just a hint of that theme from, um, from, from For a Few Dollars More. Uh, I mean, it doesn't really make sense because he plays completely different characters, but, like, uh, you know, yeah. I would think it'd be well, a cool probably. homage to that film. In his yeah. own universe, whatever. Yeah. Does um, how do you say it? Like Ennio Morricone? Is that how you say it? Ennio Morricone. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Does he do the first one as well? Um, I'm pretty sure he does. I'm pretty sure he scored all three of them. Yeah, that's good. Terrific. How about you, Jed? Um, I had a pretty sacked week as well, I guess. Um, I watched it's a mad, 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 mad world. Um. Holy shit. Uh, it's a 1960s comedy, um, and it's just about it's 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 um it's just about these uh four groups of people, and they find out about um this massive stack of treasure, not treasure, like this massive like you know stack of money, um from this dying guy, and they it's 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 all a race together. It's kind of like wacky races, to be honest, but um you know, I mean it pretty much is that to be honest. 
Um, have you got? Did you guys watch more wacky races when you were younger? No, no, no. I so. Well, it, it, it's it's just like I mean, it's pretty much just a road race, but like some crazy shit happens. You know, like some people are flying, and then like the pilot gets knocked down, and then they're doing weird stuff, and you know, and, like you know, they're teaching right. like, more people about like you know. Because, like, like, you know, someone's car will break down, so then they get – so they, they hitchhike with someone, like, they tell them about the money, but then that person, like, betrays them and then drives off on their own. It's, like, more and more people come become involved. And, like, you know, in the final – in the end, it's, like, you know, 14 people going after the stack. Um, it's pretty good. It's way too long, though. It's, like, you know, 2 hours and 40 minutes. Um, you know, and, like, it's decently funny, but, like, because of its runtime, it's just – like, it loses some of its charm. Um, right. I watched Hemel, which is uh, Danish for heaven. Um, it stars um, Hannah Hoekstra, who is um, her face is what they modeled Aloy off for um, Horizon Zero Dawn. Oh, no shit, really? Yeah. Um, you can really see it. Um, oh, okay. Um, I saw people calling it like the Danish version of Shame Fitzy, if that is anything to you. Um, that was really good. Um, at the start, I wasn't too convinced. Uh, it was, it was, it was just, you know, I don't know, it was a bit dull. But like, like, um, as it went on, it kind of built upon itself, and it was, it was really fantastic. And like, the film does a really brilliant job of conveying what Hemel is feeling, and like, like the way that she feels on screen. I mean, like, the, it, it, you know, you feel that same way inside you. And like, few films have done that so well f- for me personally. Like, you know, like this is um. There's this is one chapter, like it's it's a, it's a chapter, it's in chapters, and one of them's called Infatuated, and like in that scene, you know, she's just, you know, she's beyond happy, and like you help, you can't help but feeling that way as well because you know the colors and the acting and the way it's all comes together. So, Hemel was pretty fantastic. Um, awesome. I watched 1984. It stars John Hurt, and it's obviously an adaptation of George Orwell's novel, uh, 1984. Um, that was pretty good. Um, I was expecting a bit more from it. I, I, I guess, I don't know. Um, I haven't read the novel, but, um, I think the, the, it, it just wasn't what I was expecting, but it's still like a really good film. Um, I watched Nymphomaniac volume two. Um, not as good as volume one. Like I love volume one so much. I think it's a brilliant character study. Um, volume two is pretty much the same thing, I guess, but like, it's just a bit weaker in its elements in like overall. Um, I watched Watchmen as I, the, like the TV series, as I mentioned before, um, oh, yeah. that was really fantastic. I, it was, I think I was talking to you last week about how I put it on hold for like, you know, half a year and like this week I finally just got back to it and pumped it all out. Um, yeah. that's really brilliant. I love the way that Lindelof has adapted Alan Moore's, um, in, uh, graphic novel and he's kept so much of it but he's also updated all of the themes for today. But, it, you know, it's still, it, it still fits so well with what Moore originally wrote. Um, Alan Moore hates his own work, though, and he swears off the anything that's adapted from it or any, like, his, his actual thing. Like, he, 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 oh, really? like um, he hates V for Vendetta as well. And he, ha- like, he doesn't, he just, he doesn't even give it the chance. But he doesn't even give it the time of day. And he hates his own work. But um, I think if, if Alan Moore was to give this a chance, I, I have a feeling he'd, he'd like it because, I mean, like it's, it, like, it's just such a brilliant, you know, adaptation. Um, yeah, it's phenomenal. Yeah. I watched The Descent Part 2, um, which is pretty horrid. Um, 
the first descent is brilliant. I, I it's one of my favorite horror movies of all time. I think it's fantastic. It crafts. I mean, I, I think I spoke about it like I don't know, like three months ago on the show. The the way it crafts its tension and its horror and it, it is really superb. Um, and it ends so brilliantly and bleakly. Actually, Fitzy, what? Uh, I can't ask you what ending you got without spoiling. Yeah, it. no, uh, I think I got the yeah, yeah, the bleak. Yeah, yeah. There's there's a really brilliant bleak ending that you know the first one has but it was changed for American audiences because it was too dark. Um, and it also left room for a sequel, obviously. And this sequel just shouldn't have happened in the first place, and it is just absolutely horrid. Like, it just takes... It just, it just doesn't do anything well at all. Um, and then I watched Agide, The Wrath of God. Um, I think it's one of Herzog's most popular film. Um, I didn't love it too much. Um, someone described it as like half memorizing and half dull, and like I couldn't agree with that more. Like because like you 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 are pulled into it, but like it's such a boring and slow film. I mean like the opening shot is just five minutes of people walking down a mountain, and you know they're just in the Amazon and they're just floating down the river, and like there's no there's never any really tension or any sense of you know adventure or anything at all. And I mean like it's meant to be like it's meant to be like um. It, like so, this film is what inspired Apocalypse Now, and it's meant to be about the same. It's meant to be like similar in like um, you know, people like being driven mad by the jungle and whatever. And like you know, you see that in the film, but like it's just done in such a boring manner that you know, you, you, it's it's hard to care too much. So um, Apocalypse Now is also um an adaptation of a, a novel though, Heart of Darkness. Yeah, Heart of Darkness, yeah, yeah. yeah. But like 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 what? It's so, like Apocalypse Now is an adaptation of Heart of Darkness, but I think what. I mean, I'm, I'm pretty sure, like, Coppola drew a lot of inspiration from Akita. Um, yeah, so, like, that was a 6 out of 10. Um, because, you know, it was decent, but it was just pretty boring. I get that kind of goes to what Fitzy was saying before about dull films that are, you know, kind of just sixes because they have other stuff going for them. Cool. I've just looked up this Hemel chick, by the way, and, gee, she looked exactly like Aloy. <laughs> You're not wrong. Um, I watched... Uh, Into the Wild, Sean Penn film from 2007. Have you guys seen this? No, but doesn't it star um, Emil Hirsch, right? Yeah. It does, it does. Yeah, okay. Did you uh, Did you like it, Fitzy? Because I really liked it. Yeah. It's good. Some people, like, some people really love it or hate it, though, because... Um, really? Just because of, like, yeah, just, like, in terms of... Oh, well, not as much... That, they yeah, some people love or hate the movie, but it's mainly because of the decisions the character makes. Like a lot of people really like love or oh. hate the guy or like the decisions. Like they sure. agree or disagree with what his kind of lifestyle or whatever. Um, I think that's yeah the most interesting thing the the, the film does. Um, yeah. it really is all about this person and decisions he makes and why he makes them and delves deep into it. And I think it really does a good job of that because you know. We're exposed to. Oh, I'm sorry. If it, you, you, do you even know anything about it, Jane? I'm sorry. I'm jumping into. Um, not really. It's on my watch list, but I haven't really looked into it too much. So, so it's just this dude who's finished college and he decides to just abandon his family and, and his entire way of life, have no possessions, and walk basically to Alaska. That's literally basically it, and it's about you know what he finds along the way and all that shit. Um, now I really like it, and I think the movie did a good job of you know we spend so much time with him in these very. Uh, and all the characters and interactions he has along the way. So we very much see that he's a good person and he has 
good intentions with what he's done. But I think, you know, the film that's spoiling, I think it does a really good job of kind of um, weighing up both sides of, you know, he's also kind of an asshole for what he did um, and the pain he causes and what he's left with as a result of all that. You know, I think it's got a lot of heart and um, I think Sean Penn did a really good job of kind of capturing uh I guess what I assume would be the heart of the story of just trying to weigh up um, that character. And I think it's cool that people dislike um, the character and for that reason, because I think that's kind of, you know, really driving home of what the movie's trying to do. So that makes it really effective. And the person as well. It's based on a true story. Yeah, exactly. Exactly. Yeah, absolutely. Um, That's all I got. So now we have to get into the question of the show. Last week's, question we asked you uh was how often do you cry in films we're about to expose some fools (laughs) henry wrote in and said i cry fairly rarely during films but i do think it's a sign that i've really connected with its characters specifically if a character dies and i feel attached enough to said character to get emotional about it some examples being grave of the fireflies uh that's a studio ghibli film right yeah i think um and most recently uh, a bridge to Terabithia being the oldest I remember. Oh, yeah. Wow, that is a... Yeah. The bridge. Huh. I've heard of that movie. Oh, Weird. dude. Yeah. When I was, it was... I've seen it so many times as, like, a kid or whatever. I swear really? I was always on the TV. The bridge to Terabithia. Oh, okay. Cool. Killing dogs or animals is a cheap way to get me or any audience to cry, in my opinion, though. I, uh... I partially agree with that. I partially agree with that. I'll get into it more a bit in a second. Lachlan says, the elusive Lachlan, I'm pretty sure, oh, excuse me, I'm pretty much as emotional as a brick when watching a movie. Yeah, except for when he gets scared from the bloody zombies and made their own scorch trials. He's never going to live that down, is he? <laughs> no. Luke wrote in and said, Attack of the Clones where not just the men died, but the women and the children too. Yeah, so thanks, Luke. Paul um Paul said the dog one, right? He did. Paul wrote in and said, Marley and me, if you don't cry, then you can't be my friend. Any movie with a story of companionship between a human and a dog, all the way back to old Yella, Lassie, uh, The Littlest Ho- Hobo, not, not heard of that one, A Dog's Life, Marley and Me is the best and the saddest, though. Paul, that is a terrific answer, and it's the answer that, eh, probably, yeah, the answer that probably resonates with me the most. I partially agree with Henry. I think, you know, killing animals is obviously kind of a surefire bet, you know, at least for a lot of people. And it definitely is for me. But I do appreciate it. I've definitely had plenty of examples where I think a film handles it very carefully. And actually, instead of it just being like, okay, you killed the dog and now I have to feel sad, no shit. Like, I've seen films that I think builds that moment and builds companionship, of course, because dogs are our best friend, man's best friend. Um, you know, so where it actually is effective in that way, I think what comes to like Lassie, Lassie's not genuinely a good one. I think there, there are a few Lassie films that, you know, I like Lassie, you know, no shame. Um, a few Lassie films are definitely do that. There's um, this film named Harchie, dude. Holy shit. This movie is just the most depressing shit ever. Oh my God. And I could, I could, you know, outline the plot of the movie. And I think every human being on the planet would, find it depressing without even watching it and watching it is just a whole lot worse um but yeah but yeah i generally appreciate though that yes killing animals can be cheap for sure um 
but other than that, yeah, Pixar movies get me, you know, good old Pixar. For me, it's generally it probably mostly comes down to Pixar or dogs. It's kind of, you know, or cats, of course, well, you know, some combination of them. And then when you combine the two, you know, that's when that's when it all goes to shit. Um, and I also cried in Artemis Fowl, so there you go. Um, what about you guys? I don't really cry often in the movies, but, like, I definitely uh, I get, like, emotional at times. Like, um, uh, what are some of Like, Pan's Labyrinth or, like, um, I don't know, like, The Perks Being a Wallflower or something like that. Um, but the one... Uh, I The one time I do remember being pretty erratically emotional was um at the end of um Mr. Robot the TV series um oh wow yeah like the last the last like scene just like I was like emotional for like 15 minutes and then I rewatched it and I just I was like a lot crying again it was just I, th- I think because TV shows like you have that much more time to be invested as well it's like in kind of more of a chance at a uh, crying, I guess, but that's um yeah, that's one thing I can remember. Um, I, get, I, I I agree with Fitzy that like it's don't cry often, but like you know you 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 become emotional. Um, uh, Grave of the Fireflies is a good shout. Um, that brought me to the edge. Um, so did All Quiet on the Western Front. Um not um it's not sad in the same way that or that great of the fireflies is but um i feel like it's 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 just so much more depre- it's not so much more depressing they're, they're, they're depressing in, in their own ways but because in all quite on the western front you follow you know this group this group of boys from this one class and you just see them and how as, as they eventually become less and less and it's it's so bloody sad like the fact that they were sold lies and they were sent to their death but you know it was it's like all quite on the western front's kind of there um i think the last the last time i actually cried though i think is at the end of me and earl and the dying girl um i think your favorite movie yeah one of my favorite movies um i think films like that are kind of they, they do get me i can like uh, i think perks of being a wolf has a good shout as well um ruby sparks is another one um yeah i think yeah um but yeah me and Ellen, that and, and dying girl was the last time i cried i think actually um fizzy was brought up a good point about tv series um the red wedding was really hard to watch as well oh really okay yeah i think i was just more kind of yeah Wow. Yeah, I, just, I was just kind of more su- very su- su- shocked by it, and I was kind of like mouth agape, kind of like I can't wait to watch the next episode, kind of thing. I, yeah, I didn't really. Yeah. At first, uh, I think it was a it was a, it was a shock type of thing, but then like as I, because like but as, as the scene goes goes on, and you know like Rob is just standing there, and he's, he he just doesn't know what's going on, and 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 um his wife is you know like she's getting stabbed in the stomach, and the and the baby, you know, it's like oh god, you know. <laughs> wow, I just laughed at that. How sadistic am I? Yeah. I don't, I, yeah, the Red Wedding, I've kind of always, in a strange way, I've seen it 
I don't know. I've probably seen like five times. Uh, every time, I, I never get sad by it. I actually always, I just think it's awesome. Not not like, you know, the, the visceral nature of the violence, obviously, you know, but just, I just, as a story choice in, you know, in book form and in TV form, I just think it's so, um, such an awesome kind of uh, twi- twist, I guess, but that shouldn't be a twist because it's so obvious. Um, I just think it's such a cool and creative narrative beat that I kind of, I don't know, I never really get sad in it. What about video games? Have you ever cried video games? Because, I mean, like, that's another thing we have a massive, mm. like, attachment over, like, you know, 20-odd hours. Yeah. Um, yeah, absolutely. Um, Last of Us, did the ending of the first Last of Us get, get at you any, any, any at all? No, no, I don't think so. Just, yeah, watching it on YouTube doesn't really have the same effect. Oh, <laughs> the first time. The first time. Um, dude, like, honestly, The Last of Us Part 2 got me close. Got me close. Great question, though. I don't know. I'd have to think about that more. That's the only one that came to my head immediately because it's so recent. When, um, I think even at the start of the first Last of Us, was, his daughter's name was Sierra, wasn't it? Like, even when she died, yeah. like, that was, like, that, 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 that was hard, you know? Yeah. All the, um, who are the people they met along the way? Oh, the, oh Sam and Henry. Yeah, the, yeah. Them, yeah, that, that, yeah. I don't know. I, I, yeah, I can't even get emotional that one just because it's so just so shocking it's clearly meant to be shocking because then we hard cut to three months later you know oh dude you can't even you don't even get time to process it yeah, yeah. The, 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 fir- the first time that i experienced that I was, I was i was so devastated thanks for tuning in to cinema Effect. thank you for your responses we appreciate them they were pretty good this week good mix of you know lachlan's uh cold heart loose humor some genuine answers too we appreciate that combo i think uh fitzy what are we watching next week we are doing the the five blunts by Spike Lee, um, and that's on Netflix. So, yeah, yeah, great. another new twenty twenty film, which is exciting. Sure, all right, let's go. I personally, um, I've, I don't know the reception to this movie at all. I've got everyone might think it's terrible. Everyone might think it's a masterpiece. I've got no idea. I haven't seen a single review or a single score, so I'm going into it. With no expectations. I'm excited. Haven't seen the trailer either. Um, yeah. I'm kind, I'm kind of... I think I've heard a bit more about it um, in terms of, like, review-wise, and I'm also aware of an element that Spike uses in the film. But, um, yeah. Oh, okay. I'm pretty blind with it as well. I haven't seen the trailer either, but, yeah. Fitzy, have you? Um, yeah, I've heard a little, but not much, but... Um... Yeah, so it's by the director of um, Black Klansman, and um, he's done a ton of classic stuff, like Do the Right Thing, and uh, he did a biopic on, like, um, Malcolm X, I think. So, yeah. He's... Have you seen Do the Right Thing? Yeah. Is it good? Yeah, it's great, yeah. It's, um... Okay. It's a very, very clever... Um, social commentary that's like still relevant today and stuff so oh cool very good movie important movie so yeah oh good i wanted to check it out so i will okay well uh that's enough from us jane and fitzy thanks for joining me as always thanks cheers bye what's the what's the response to that i I didn't know is it is it do do we say thanks back or do we say bye i've completely blanked thanks or how would you respond in real life i don't know thanks no worries (laughs) Thanks for joining me. Uh, no worries. Yeah, I don't know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. 
Well, I mean, if, if you hated it, you can say, well, you know. Yeah, I hate the fact that you had me through this. So actually, yeah, no, it hasn't been a good time. Thanks for hosting us, Zach. That's all right. Am I hosting you? I don't know about that. I mean, I'm like, yeah. you're not in my house. Right. Okay? Sorry. Anyway. Yeah, how do you? All right. We've talked too much. We'll see you all next week. Next week, next time. Have a good week and goodbye.